So I just want to share something from a, a book I've read uh, and work with. Um, and the author writes this. A state of enlightenment is attainable here and now. It is possible to live free of suffering, free of anxiety and neurosis. To do this, we have to come to understand our role as the creator of our pain. Our own mind causes our problems, not other people, not the world out there. It is our own mind with its nearly constant stream of thoughts, thinking about the past, worrying about the future. We make the great mistake of identifying with our mind, thinking that's who we are, when in fact we are far greater things. There's another gentleman who says I can be a host to God or a hostage to fear or my mind. Um, it is the thing that causes uh, the destruction of me. Um, The instrument that causes the problem, the mind, is not the same thing I turn to to find a solution. So while the mind's creating a problem, many of us think, well, I'm going to figure this out. I need to think about this. I need to figure it out. It's probably the last move any one of us ought to be making when I have to figure out or think about this. Let me sit on it a while. Uh, That's probably not going to work. What I need to do is go into prayer surrender it, and then I can seek counsel. The 11th step talks about this when we're agitated or doubtful. We pause, and we ask for the right thought or answer. It'll come to us. I need to be in spiritually fit shape in order to do that. So another author in another book, and I've worked with many, uh, again talk about this mind. And when we look at step two, what we're doing is we're not entertaining the mind at all. We're going right into this power called God. And that brings us to step two, which says, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And when they wrote this, they were looking back on their experience. It's almost written like in past tense. We came to believe, we got to this place. It's an arrival place. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Each journey is different. But the point is knowing it'll come to fruition. It'll be realized that we will get to a place, every one of us, following some spiritual disciplines or the road that's laid out in front of us, to a place of sanity. Which for me was always uh, synonymous, and I speak for myself, with truth. Wholeness of mind. God. The only truth. I talked about that last night. So we will get to a place of being restored to wholeness of mind, being restored to truth, because I always suffer from the inability to see the truth. And this power, the power greater than myself, my own conception of it, will bring me finally to truth. So we get to see with God's eyes, we get to hear with God's ears, and we get to speak God's words. And therefore, thought, word, and deed has been completely changed into His thought, word, and deed. And when those other thoughts kind of come in, what we'll call unspiritual, self-centered, self-seeking kind of thinking, we're not hooked into it. When I would make the mistake for years, and many of us still do make the mistake, if a thought comes in, we hook in and we ride it. Until the next thought comes in, we hook in and we ride it. Therefore, we are never present. 
Less self, more God. More God, less self. So I can I get, get to a place, depending on my spiritual condition, where I'm not getting hooked into all these thoughts. Because we sit in a meeting. We sit on the couch. We're watching a game. We're spending time with our loved ones. And as I'm talking to you, I got 4,000 things going that I'm talking about while I'm talking to you. We're never present. This is why we're always exhausted. I need relief from that. And a drink makes me very present. So I got to experience ease and comfort from God. If not, I'll look to experience ease and comfort in a drink or something else. So we're going to get to this place of sanity, wholeness of mind, truth, or God. But it's, it, it never happened for me by just coming to a meeting. Now, when I would come to a meeting, I'd be around a bunch of drunks who were sober. And most of them were talking about the solution and excited about life. And I felt like it was a Band-Aid on an open wound. I felt some, some joy and camaraderie and safety in these numbers. But I still, like all of us, have to leave here and go home. We leave the meeting and go home. We go back to our homes, occupations, and affairs. And hopefully we have more principles than affairs to attend to, right? Um, but we, we need to leave here. How am I doing I've heard it's normal to think about a drink because you're an alcoholic. Absolutely, when you're not spiritually fit. Well, you're always going to be thinking about booze. You're an alcoholic. Says who? Says the untreated alcoholic. And when I say that, I need to rally up troops to, to support that because I'm always thirsty. I'm always thinking about a drink. So I copped it out by saying, well, I'm an alcoholic. I'm always going to think about drinking. I need you to say, yeah, me too. So I have some support in that. But nowhere in the book does it say that. If I'm spiritually fit, I'm probably not thinking about a drink. I'm probably not thirsty in a long time. And obviously the obsession is long gone because none of us, if we're alcoholics, can fight the obsession for very long before our knees buckle and we, we're done. Bless you. Right. We can talk about this program. Um, a lot of us in here are probably big book lawyers, probably already telling, you know, that he forgot something, you know, critiquing this whole thing. Uh, we, we know folks, oh, they're not doing it this way. He's skipping around. Or he, you know how it is, how we can be, right? Very critical. But don't be critical of me. Let me criticize you. And uh, I know folks who can do this book, uh, the mechanics, better than the people who probably wrote it. That's all they're capable of doing. It's really about getting an experience or information where we become the book. The book is who we be. It's not something we're pointing to. I don't have to remember to practice love and talent. I've become loving and talent. I don't have to remember to help others and serve others. It's who I be now, where the book becomes internalized. So with this book and any other books that I've worked with, my sponsors always taught me, work with these books. Don't read these books. We can read books, you know, put them on the wall, and when the new guy comes in, say, I read all of these. I'm special. Well, what does that one say? I don't remember. And I'm still acting like a drunken sailor without a drink in me. The idea is to become the book. Work with the book. So when I, and I study these things and I work with them, I used to read the ending first to find out how it turned out, and then I go to the beginning, right? Um, I work with them. 
I might be in chapter one for a couple of weeks. I, you know, I'm marking and highlighting and meditating and sitting with it and see where it takes me. Some books talk to you, some books don't. But when they do, pay attention to it. Do you ever work with a book and you, you read something that resonates? You go, wow, that's something. I'm stu- this is getting me. Don't go. My suggestion is always don't go any further than that. Sit with that. Why did God give me this little paragraph to get me at a gut level? There's the experience happening. Then I move on. So the ego wants to work with the spiritual book and, and run back to home group and start dropping pearls of wisdom like they do in church. They throw holy water out. I want to drop pearls of wisdom so they, they have a monument outside my home group for me. Peter has pearls of wisdom, you know. Uh, don't. Just work with it. In fact, even during this weekend, um, if, if you're having something good happen, an experience, a little bit, uh, the light is turning on, don't talk it away, just be still with it. Because you might talk to someone and they'll talk it away for you. Just be still with it. Um, if you're experiencing, I forgot to say this earlier, if you're experiencing some resistance to what I'm saying, um, if it's not in the book, I understand it. If I'm coming out of this book, which I hope to, for the most part, as far as instructions go, and you're getting resistance, uncomfortable, getting up for coffee like 45 times, having to smoke extra cigarettes, not trying to be here. What God has done for you is revealed your illness in neon lights. It doesn't want to hear the information. Here goes my ego. He's making me uncomfortable. The uncomfortability is because of something that has been revealed to me. Light has been shown on the dark spot in me that wants to stay dark. And God is calling me to no longer waver and be double-minded. I need to be all in. And so when we get around workshops like this, sometimes we'll hear information on perhaps step four or maybe the way we do multiple fifth steps in step five or just things about step two and three that we don't like. Instead of being hungry for the information, taking notes, I like this, we're going, I'm uncomfortable with this. That is the ego getting grinded into dust right before your eyes. That's a good thing. And the great way to combat that is thank you, God, for giving this, for feeding me. I didn't even know how dark I was. So just a little bit of awareness. But if you're having something good happen, don't talk it away. Just be with it. See where it takes you. Okay? Um, On page 30, it says, at the bottom of page 43, um, it says, it talks about being 100% hopeless apart from divine help. Am I clear that I'm 100% hopeless apart from God's help? And I think our book is being, you know, very uh, uh, mild when they say help. I don't need God as a little helper. I need God, 100% of God, who's pursuing me anyway. But am I clear on my condition, drunk or sober? I'm still 100% apart from divine help, that once I start to drive, we're all in serious trouble. It says, once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. So much for thinking it through and playing the tape to the end and remember where I'm coming from, and it goes on and on and on. Except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can uh, provide such a defense. My defense must come from a higher power. And that little piece is a summary of pages 23 to 43 in one little paragraph. 
So that brings me to step two. This came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. It's a pointer. I'm, I'm surrendered in one. I, 43 pages plus my experience getting in here that I'm in serious trouble. And no matter how much I don't want to drink, I'm going to drink and I'm probably going to die this time. It's going to get worse. And I'm on my knees at this point, And they finally offer an olive branch. They finally give a, a flimsy read and say, hold it, we got a solution for you. It's called a power greater than yourself. They slip it in. It's called God. And they know we're going to bristle with antagonism as soon as we talk about God or spirituality. Because if you're like me, the first thing, when I heard God spirituality, I heard God religion. I have a problem with God. I have a bigger problem with religion. The buck stops here. Already you lost me. They knew that because they were just like that. So God is infinite wisdom gives Bill information to get us. Religious, no religious dogma. Not my religion is better than yours. Watch CNN News. We're killing the planet over that because of fanaticism, right? We don't do that here. But what we do is, for many of us, is we get this spiritual path and we go back to our religious communities. And we have tolerance for other religions compared to the way when we were maybe starting out. Wouldn't it be neat if the whole planet was doing AA? I mean, we have a couple of skirmishes once in a while. Maybe a few people don't talk to each other. We wouldn't be annihilating each other. Wouldn't it be cool if the whole world did AA? And if I were elected governor, I you know. <laughs> So we agnostics, chapter 2. We're going to get to this place. I've asked so many men, what is an agnostic? They don't have a clue. Many of us are agnostic when we come in here and are here and are still agnostic. I don't deny the existence of a God, some being out there. You just can't prove it to me. It's not tangible enough. I can't sink my teeth into it, which throws me into self-reliance. I'll worry about God when I die, but the clock is ticking. I better worry about it now. But when we're all in trouble, God get me out of this one. Suddenly we become believers. So they knew this. So what they do is they say, let's choose your own conception. Ebby said this to Bill. Bill knew about God. Bill talked about, he said, he conceded Christ to be great, but not closely followed by them who, who preached his name. And I'm obviously paraphrasing. So Bill knew about this, but as soon as Ebby says, talk to him about it, right away he got tight. And then Ebby offers him, which we brought into agnostics, probably some of the greatest words. Choose your own conception. Ebby had nowhere to go. I mean, Bill had nowhere to turn. He says it melted the icy intellectual mountain in which he stood, which he had known for so long. Bill had built a fortress around himself. No God. And when he heard spirituality, he heard religion, like many of us. We're not getting involved with this. It's all bad. I've had personal bad experiences, perhaps. I know people who had bad experiences. It goes on and on and on. And Ebby tells Bill, choose your own conception of God. Your own conception. Alcoholics love control. Ebby says, Bill, make one up. And that's what they're telling us here. Our own conception, it says no matter how limited it was, was sufficient to make the approach. 
If I'm in a place of experiencing current agnosticism, which means I know there's God out there, but right now he's not working in my relationship. Right now he's not taking care of my money. Right now he's not taking care of my health. It throws me into self-reliance. And where I think I'm managing now because I'm taking over, I'm actually experiencing more unmanageability. The more I try to manage and wrap my arms around it, the worse it gets. It's like trying to squeeze sand in your hand. It just, it all squeeze water. It, you lose it. Which means I'm now in fear. And the more fear I am, the more I try to control, which means I'm really out of control. So it's agnosticism, unmanageability, fear, self-reliance. Self-reliance, unmanageability, fear, agnosticism. This vicious cycle. So they say, choose your own conception of God, whatever that might be. And for me, at the beginning, as much as I wanted to have with these other folks, they had had this personal relationship with God. Not knowing about God, because we don't need more knowledge. What I need is power. Lack of power is my dilemma. My big book tells me that. To me, the most powerful line in the entire book. Lack of power is my dilemma. So I need to have a relationship with this power, but I would come up with the old ideas. And what worked for me was what they told me to do. Group of drunks for good orderly direction. That was good enough for me at the beginning. I found power and safety by coming to the AA meetings. G.O.D., group of drunks, good orderly direction. I knew I was good for that hour. The old timers, bless their hearts, they would call me kids, sit with us, and then they remembered your name. Hey, Pete, sit with us. And you sat at the old timers table who had like the 30 and 40 year guys. They were the elders. And you're sitting at their table. This was great. Group of drunks for good only direction. All it requires is willingness on my part. So my book says in the preceding chapters, we've learned something of alcoholism. And that's in the first three chapters. And doctor's opinion. We learned about alcoholism, body, mind, and spirit. Got an obsession in mind, phenomena called craving when I drink, and a spiritual condition. Now, most of the world out there has a spiritual malady. I mean, the times prove that. I have one too, whether I'm drinking or not. And until I remedy the spiritual malady, I will continue to drink and or act out and harm myself and harm others. When the spiritual malady is overcome, I say now mentally and physically, I'm not drinking. In fact, I'm probably doing good deeds. I'm probably doing good things. And when I'm screwing up, I'm making amends. I'm trying to right it. It says in the preceding chapters, we learned something of alcoholism. We hope we have made clear the distinction between the alky and the non-alky. What's my truth? Not what anyone told me. I am. You're an alcoholic. You're a dopamine. What is my truth? Based on my sponsor walking me through the first 43 pages, do I suffer from this threefold illness? Yes, keep moving. Couple of considerations, which the book is full of considerations, promises, and warnings. If, when you honestly want to, you find you can't quit entirely, or if, when drinking, you have little control of the amount you take, it says you're probably alcoholic. They never say you are alcoholic, because they know how we are. We'll say, no, I'm not. <laughs> right. So, can I control the stopping and the starting? How many times did I want to stop and I started? How many times they say I'd stop after the third one and kept going? Well, I really want to do it and I keep drinking. Those are some considerations they offer us. If 
that's the case, you're probably suffering, watch this, from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. When we conquer something, we gain victory over it. We're not dealing with our alcoholism. We're not coping with our alcoholism. We're conquering alcoholism. And who's doing it is God. To one who feels he's an atheist or agnostic, such an experience seems impossible. But continue as we are means disaster, especially for alkies of the hopeless variety. To be doomed to an alcoholic death or live on spiritual uh, basis of life are not always easy alternatives to face. So they're telling me here, find God or drink and die. Whoa. You got a plan C? (laughs) What about sober bowling, you know? Sober softball, can I do that? I have to do all 12? Can I do like three and table it for a while? I'll get back to you after 90 meetings in 90 days. I know you'll refund my misery. I mean, you know. It says it isn't so difficult. About half our originally, original fellowship were exactly that type. Bottom of the page, it says, If a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life was sufficient to overcome alcoholism, we would have recovered, recovered long ago. So, I've had... Things that I've tried, people have had things that they tried that might work, like I go into treatment, this might work. And I learn about the inner workings of my mind. I learn how I process my feelings, and then I get drunk anyway. Some of us are in AA, and we're a little untreated. My first few months, six months in AA, I was acting out every way possible and developed the food uh, uh, disorder. I was binging and purging on top of all the other stuff. And if I do this, it'll, I'll be able to cope with it. If I could do that, i cope with it. i get feel good feelings out of this, and I was sinking fast. Mere code of uh, morals, better philosophy, like read spiritual books. You know, go to the gym, better philosophy of life. If that stuff worked, the big book would say, keep busy, one sentence, the pamphlet, and you could go home. <laughs> right? We go to Barnes and Nobles or one of these other places, and they got racks of spiritual books. How to be spiritual. You don't need AA. Read my book. You know, all this stuff. Tons of information that we can read, and we read it, and we're feeling like really intelligent at this point, intellectual and spiritual, and we dump a few pearls on the group, and they think we invented it. We think we invented it, and only to be restless and discontented as soon as the applause dies down. It doesn't work. I want to be a good husband to my wife. I want to be a good daddy to my children. I want to go to the gym and take care of my body. I want to go back to my religious community. I do that for a little bit. I turn over a new leaf, and then it putters away. And I'm back with me on me, the illness on me. And I can't get away. It's like trying to get away from my own shadow. I can't solve a problem with the same level, uh, the same mind that created it in the first place, huh? So it tells me this. If a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life was sufficient to overcome this, this alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago. But we found that such codes and philosophies did not save us. It might work, a quick fix for a little while, but getting rescued or saved is completely different. 
If, God forbid, I was drowning in the ocean, someone came by and was just holding me up, but the both of us are still in the middle of the ocean, it's, he's, it's, I'm, I'm got some relief right now with the hope of a boat coming by to save now the two of us. Or we're treading water. Eventually, they're talking about getting rescued, saved, conquering, victory over. These are their words, not mine. Solving. Right? We could wish to be moral and uh, we could wish to be philosophically comforted. In fact, we could will these things with all our might, but the needed power wasn't there. My willpower was not sufficient. It failed completely. Now, later on in the 11th step, we'll talk about self-will and proper use of the will. When God calls us to do something, we can throw everything we have at it. Right? Most of us who have, cho- first, who have children will say, our first child. We never did this before. But we love our kids. So we get this... Women have the best at this, raising children. You just throw everything you have at raising children, and you do the really best job you can. That's proper use of the will. Self-will is, it's all about me. I'm going to make you think I'm really a good guy by offering you things, but it's really about me. Joe's down on his luck, so I give him $100. Keep this between me and you, Joe. Joe thinks I'm a good guy, and then I tell everyone in AA, I help Joe out. It's all about that self-will. There's always a benefit for me. Lack of power. This is it. This is it in a nutshell for me was my problem. Lack of power is my dilemma. With power, no dilemma. I don't need more knowledge. Knowledge is a wonderful thing, but I don't need more in fact, all I need to recover is right in the big book. We work with lots of books. I've worked with lots of books. Gone to lots of teachers. Gone to my religious community. Sought out the elders. Sought out the enlightened folks. To enhance the experience to be a better agent for God. But lack of power is my problem. Because I can read this book without a God experience. It's just words on a page. I can read scripture. What a drink in my hand as I'm reading scripture. I can go to church and get drunk right after this Mass is over. I could go to church, make communion, go home and beat up the wife. Lack of power is my dilemma. With power, no dilemma. So how am I going to get to this power? Chapter 2 Agnostics tells us how, where, and even why to find God. How to find God, because many of us are lost. Where to find Him, and why we ought to do it. And we're going to quickly find out they're not talking about religion. And I have no problem with religion. I belong to my religious community now in a way I never thought possible. I think I shared last night my favorite place, Sunday morning, 1030, St. Ambrose Church. I love being in there. I love talking to the priest there. I I love the whole idea of it. Because we all know any religion at the core, real religion is real about love. We screw it up. People do. But I found out with with this step two and my AA, they're not talking about religion. They're talking about spiritual path. That might take us back to our religious community. It's a spiritual path, which means it's love, forgiveness, tolerance, understanding, putting out fires, going where there's trouble, and bringing peace. 
And through all of it, this mind has been repaired. It's not telling me you need a drink, or now you need to get a drink to celebrate. It's been removed. We'll see that in step 10. So we begin here. It says that's what this book, I'm sorry, it says we had to find a power by which we could live, not just not drink or cope with alcoholism, by how we could live. And it had to be a power greater than me. Where and how are we going to find this power? That's what this book is about. This book's main object is to help me to find this power, which is going to solve my problem, not just the booze or the drug problem, my problem, which is I can't do life. I get an F on my report card for trying to do life. I failed miserably. They're going to fix this for me by taking me to God. A couple of sentences down, it's really important. It says, here, when talking about God, it says, here difficulty arises with agnostics. Difficulty arises with the individual, the agnostic, or even the atheist who've come into AA. Which, by the way, my experience, I've had a couple of guys come in and say, I'm an atheist. They were the easiest guys to flip. They were easier to flip than the agnostic hanging around AA for 15 or 20 years who's got the ego built up. But says difficulty arises with these agnostics. What we need to know is the difficulty was, is always with me towards God, not God towards me. God doesn't have difficulty or problem with me. I'm not a threat to God. It's me towards God, and God's a threat to me. God's a threat to my life, my plans and designs, my drinking, everything. God's a threat to my sex life, my family life, my relationship life, my money life. God's a threat. I don't like God. A great assignment to to do is write down the areas of my life that I'm unwilling to give to God. And then the next column, why? Here's agnosticism. I'm, I'm really not too thrilled about giving my money life to God. Why? I might be stuck making this much money for the rest of my life. I have plans and designs. My sex life. God may want me to be celibate for the rest of my life. I have, every alcoholic knows this one, I have plans and designs. <laughs> Did you just say amen to that? Is that what you just said? Yeah? It's my kind of woman. What am I afraid to turn over to God and why? I could write this down. Where I believe God's working in my life and where I'm doubting He's working in my life. I should be further along by now. God's not really working. I've gotten sick, perhaps. I'm having struggles in my family. God turned his back on me. Here's my current agnosticism. And here's what I found out. I just want to get off the top, sort of off the topic. God's pursuing me, and you can take this for what it's worth. God pursues us. I had to be homeless and almost dead before I said, Okay, God, take me. Fix me. I'll do anything. Some of us who were civilians or in AA suddenly find our loved ones or perhaps ourselves getting sick. Some financial hardship. Divorce, bankruptcy. God, I've been doing your work for so long. I've been trying to do your work for so long. Whatever it is, and we stop bargaining. Where's my piece of the pie? What God is doing in his pursuit of me is getting my attention. Some of us don't even want to talk about God. It's a nice thing for other people, but I don't need it. 
and suddenly they get sick or they find themselves in difficult financial times or relationship breakup, whatever it might be. Not pleasant. Most of those folks, where do they turn back to? They turn back to God in a place of humility, become very teachable. And if they lock into God, they look back on those experiences as of great things that have happened because the quality of their life is improved immensely. Case in point, I have a younger brother, my youngest brother, um, loves AA, loves what we do. He reads a big book. He reads lots of spiritual books I do. I even showed him how to do inventory. He has a life of prayer meditation. He loves what we do. He's come to hear me speak and sat in open meetings. He thinks this is the coolest movement. How do I become an alcoholic so I can get in? You know, joking around. So. My middle brother is the corporate guy. The I don't know if it's left brain or right brain. The very uh, black and white figure stuff out, um, read the directions. You know, I'm the type, if I get something, I just put it together, leave the directions there. Uh, he reads the warning labels on things. I don't, right? But he's that type of guy. And for him, you know, um, religion, God, it's nice. But, you know, you got to go out and make it in the corporate world, take care of my family. has been very successful. A year ago, my brother gets diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. He was lost lost. And he talked to me a lot about it. And some of his neighbors are churchgoers. And they came over and they talking to him and supporting him over a cup of coffee. And uh, my brother found himself right back in his religious community and giving service. It's become the most important part of his life right now. And because of that, not only the quality of his life has improved. He has a purpose. It's, he has he's a career. He has he's a husband. He's a stepdad, which is, requires a lot. But he has a different purpose, a different walk. The quality has improved, and it's helping him deal or work with his Parkinson's. And prior to that, he was completely lost, and there really wasn't a God in his life. He was just kind of doing what most people do, go through life, sound asleep, thinking we're awake. And if we try to, under, if I try to understand how God works, I'm looking at God with my own logic. And God doesn't operate that way. My sponsor said, if God came down to start talking to you, you'd probably implode or explode because you couldn't figure out, well, this doesn't make sense, God. He's like, no, I'm God. <laughs> right? So we can't understand, it tells us. We can't even explain God. What we can explain is our personal experiences with this God. So I should, based on my track record, be dead or in jail. And there's probably a lot of us who can claim the same thing. So how are we here doing this? It's not logical, nor is God. So the trouble is always with me towards God. On page 46, in the second paragraph, or well, the first full paragraph, it says this, third sentence down, we found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice, old ideas, contempt, if you will, and express even a willingness to believe in a capital P, power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results, even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power which is God. 
Lay aside old ideas. Lay aside old ideas. They're not even saying your old ideas are bad, nor are they saying they're good. They're just saying put them aside for a minute. Let's make room for something new. And if it's G-O-D for group of drunks, a good only direction, that's cool. Rather than approaching God with contempt, pride, or investigation, or any spiritual idea with contempt, pride, or investigation, another religion with contempt, pride, or investigation, it shuts me down, and as Herbert Spencer says, keeps the world in ignorance forever. Yet I claim to be godly, I claim to be spiritual, I claim to be enlightened, but as soon as something comes down the highway a different direction, I'm shutting it down. That's contemporary investigation. God is God. You're going to go up the hill on a donkey that's white. You're going to go up the hill on a donkey that's black. You're going to go up the hill on a donkey that's polka dot. I'm going to go one that's striped. Yours is fast. His is slow. Hers kind of in between. At some point, we're getting to the same place and worshiping the same power. And we have that in AA. My interpretation, my experiences in this book were handed down to me. Perhaps you've gone through the book. A little different spin on it. You're in the book. You're not getting hurt. You're certainly not going to hurt anyone with this experience in the book. The book is the book. God is God. We have different paths to get there. He knows that. Am I surrendering? What's my intent? The intent is key. Is it pure? Or am I doing it so you give so you think I'm important now? God doesn't want to be bothered with that. In fact, I don't want to be bothered with that. I'd rather you stumble and fall and say, listen, I stumble and fall a lot. I'm really trying not to, but I'm probably going to stumble and fall than to pretend you're graceful when I know you're not. Right? That's the great thing about AA. We all got battle wounds, every one of us. And we know we're all broken, every one of us. And God put us together to heal us. That's the cool thing about a That thread that runs through every one of us, we've all had our battles. We've all had our humiliations. And we've all had, many of us, our contempt towards a, the idea of God. For me, it was weak and cowardly to surrender to God. I looked at men going into church. I said, they're weak. You know, you're a punk kid hanging out on the corner. And you see people going to church. I said, look at these losers. Their wife's, you know, dragging them to church. There's probably something wrong with them. Church was for women and children. Men don't go to church. You just don't do that. I can't wait for Sunday morning. My worst day out there drinking was Sundays. I hated Sundays. My favorite day sober is Sundays. I love Sundays. It's the whole day for me. Revolved around my, well, it comes to about an hour and a half, two hours in, in church. Beautiful. And I'm able to practice these principles right there. So it says, we found as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express a willingness to believe in this power, greater than ourselves, we commence to get results. I don't have to worry about ever defining or comprehending God. I just have to seek and experience, and faith will give birth to that. I'm not sure I'm at, but you seem to be doing something. So I believe that you believe. You're, tell, you're bearing witness for me. I'm bearing witness for you. You're bearing witness for him. And so on and so forth. 
Much to our relief, I did not need to consider anyone else's conception of God. My own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach. Our book uses this a few times. Our own approach, our own conception, no matter how inadequate, they use that word several times, was sufficient. Am I willing to believe or not? So I always like to tell this story. I was working with some fella uh, years ago, and um, he was from Russia. And uh, he was a bad guy. Did some bad things over there. And he was here now, and he's alcoholic. And he spoke fairly good English, uh, very thick accent, but he was trying to get sober. And uh, I sat him down. I was living in, in Staten Island, New York, and I had him we were in my basement. I had, like, my AA room down there. And um, was sitting down. I'm reading the book to him and giving some considerations. And he's, he's knocking him out of the park with step one and understanding and grasping. And we come to step two, and um, I'm reading to him. And um, we get to this piece here that we did not need to consider another conception of God, anyone else's, our own conception, no matter how inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach. God doesn't make too hard terms to those who seek Him. It is open to all. It goes on and on and on. They make a wide, wide entrance for us. This guy was uh, as big as you. This guy was about 6'3", 6'4". He was a monster. And he looked mean, right? And I knew from, from what the stories he told me, we haven't done step five yet, but I, he had told me he did some bad things. Bad things. And as I'm reading this to him, he, I, he's not looking up, and I'm looking at his face is turning red, and he's got tears rolling down his eyes, and his monster of a man breaks. And he says, I don't remember all the words, but in just it was, in, in a sense, it was something like, I never thought I would have a chance with God. I did bad things. This just blew it open for me. I can use AA as my God for now. And that guy kept moving. Went through the rest of the work. Right? It's incredible what goes on here. They don't ask for your money. They don't ask for the right color. They don't ask for if you're right from the right town. They don't care if you're in shape. They don't care. God doesn't care. It would be like if any of us have children. I always look at children because to me they, they, they embody God. There's a little guy running around here somewhere. I mean, he's brought a smile to everyone. I'm going to ask him to speak this afternoon, by the way. Yeah. Um, when you're around kids, you get, like, goofy. I was playing Hulk with him before, like I was eight. It was great. Uh, you get goofy around children. They embody God. If that little, if little children made us a little Christmas gift or a birthday gift in school and arts and crafts, and it wasn't the nicest drawing, but they make the house, and here's mom, and here's dad, and it's a little scribbly. What do you do? You love it. Because they're showing, this is how I love you. What about God? God knows I'm not perfect, but I'm giving my best to surrender. Like any parent's going to embrace that. God doesn't make two hard terms. Who makes the hard terms? My mind. Me. You don't make hard terms to me. My mind does. So I need to be out of my mind to experience God. Completely out of my mind. Lose your mind. 
So step two, uh, uh, they tell me uh, where. And it says the great reality is deep down within. Lay aside old ideas to express a willingness to believe. Back to first step. My first step drove me into a place I'm going to die. Please help me. That's good enough. Let's keep moving. Group of junks for good all the direction. Perhaps we have our own conception of God. Something other than ourselves. Great. Keep moving. If I'm struggling, where do I find it? Deep down within, not out there. The great reality is deep down within. The kingdom of heaven, once someone once said, is not out there, it's in here. We can look and wait, and it's going to show up any minute, rather than going inside where it's always present. It's the spirit, it's the soul. We need to touch that. And why? Here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed. They flatly declare that since they have come to believe in step two, a power greater himself to take a certain attitude towards that power, step three, and do certain simple things, four through nine, there has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. I'll experience my living and thinking changes when I become open-minded based on step one, if I don't become open-minded because of my step one, I need to do some more research perhaps. I need to touch step one. Step one is painful. It was bloomy, wide open. Okay, what do you got? It says, in the face of collapse and despair, step one, in the face of total failure of their human resources, step one, they found a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. This happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. I meet these requirements, I have a revolutionary change. That's why. Perhaps I'm an AA, and it says, leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. Perhaps I'm sober, but my life is just, it's not good. I'm miserable. We left aside, and I'm not drinking. Life is miserable. Perhaps you should do what we did, turn back to this power. And all this is is just a decision. It's a conclusion, conclusion, if you will, that my way doesn't work. Perhaps this G.O.D. will Some of us are already entrenched in our religious communities, and we just go back there along with this work. Okay, keep moving. Step three, I'm going to turn everything over to this power called God. And it's just a decision. I'm going to turn my thinking and my actions over to God, which means my life is about to be none of my business. Huh? I like it to be my business because I know better. In fact, a few times I knew better than God. In fact, God asked me a few times, Hey, Pete, what should we do about this? <laughs> Back to step one. Am I willing to really am I willing to do this? Because when I do it, God thinks I mean it. I'm willing to give up everything. Everything I think, everything I think I am. Mind, body, and spirit. God, I made a mess of this. The toy is broken. I can't figure it out. Can you fix it for me? And God's going to take this and throw a couple of things out, tweak a couple other things, reshape a couple of things, or like get a piece of clay. The bowl that's created by the master craftsman doesn't tell the master craftsman, I think you missed the spot. I need to be more round over here. 
It's just a piece of clay. The master craftsman puts it on that thing and just spins it around and shapes it the way he wants it to be shaped. And then it's put in this hot oven and is made new, if you will. It loses its old form, its old look, to be made something new. Which is exactly what needs to happen to me. I need to die to the old life in order to be reborn, as step three says. And it begins with the decision to turn everything over to this power. And it is just a decision. I can make a decision to go to the gym. I haven't done anything yet. And I can go sign up and they take all my money. I haven't done anything yet. And I can go to the gym after I sign up and get the big water bottle. You ever see these guys, big water bottle, headphones, 400 sweatbands on, the new shorts, the new sneakers, and I'm looking for an ashtray for my cigar. I haven't done anything yet. I need to get on a treadmill and break a sweat consistently before you see or I see any change in my body. So it's just a decision to be followed by action. You know how you do in step three? Four through nine, pen hits paper. And I've seen too many people hang around in step three, get a good third step, work a really good third step, read the 12 and 12 step three for the next 90 days. You're killing people. They need power right now. No time to wait. We don't have that kind of luxury. They might be dead and drunk in 90 days. How do I do step three? Pen go to paper and I start four through nine. And somewhere in there I will see the release. But it starts with my, my agreeing to do this in four through nine. That's why uh, uh, after step three it says next to start step four. It doesn't say get a good third step, work 90 meetings in 90 days. Uh, when you feel ready, stop step four. How are we doing on time? Okay. You guys want to take a break? Or you want to keep moving another 15 minutes? Break? Keep going? Keep going. Okay. Chapter 5, how it works. Step 3. How what works. You ever hear this? I don't know how it works, but it works. I want to scream out, it's in the big book. Read it. (laughs) How the steps work. God consciousness works. How this process works. Not the fellowship now, because we come into the fellowship. In the fellowship, we find a program. We give it away in service. I'm not in a program. I try to get on the methadone program one time. It's a different program. Right? We're not in the program. I don't go to the program. I'm in a fellowship. I belong to a fellowship. In that, there's a program. We're going to see how this program works. It says, rarely have we seen a person fail at sobriety, God consciousness, who has thoroughly followed the path. Am I willing to thoroughly follow this path? Up until now, have I been pretty thorough? Those who do not recover or cannot or will not completely give themselves to a simple program. See how he's writing this? Completely. Not one foot in the water and the other one out. All in. That's what it requires. Men and women, uh, usually men and women, are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. And that is looking at my own truth. I'm an alcoholic. I'm going to die. And those are the the hanger-ons, the 15, 20 years in and out of AA, just in and out of AA forever. 
in and out of treatment, jails, institutions. You throw everything at them. They just can't see the truth. They won't take it. They won't digest it. They just, they're not there. It says, there are such unfortunates, they are not at fault, they seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Am I a man who lives with rigorous honesty? Are you a woman who lives with rigorous honesty? This life demands that I be someone who lives with a life of rigorous honesty, not cash register honest, just honest life which means I'm going to talk to you about my, my problems and my deficiencies, my screw-ups, not just my good things. And I'm going to give all the good things credit to God and the bad things I'll take the hit for. Rigorous honesty. If I'm dishonest in one area of my life, I'm dishonest in all areas of my life. It's been infected. I can't pick and choose. Huh? Conversely, if I'm living in a sunlight of spirit, whether I'm working or playing, you don't know the difference. It all looks the same. Fellowship becomes recovery. Recovery looks like service. Service looks like fellowship. I'm part of the whole around the triangle. You don't know what I'm... Just This guy's in the middle of it. When I'm at work, I'm, I'm passionate for work. In relationships, I'm passionate for my relationships. Working with a drunk, I'm passionate. Going to the gym, bike riding. I love bike riding. I'm just... It's what I do. If I'm dishonest, all those things change. There are those two who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do have the capacity to be honest. I just want to talk about this for a second. My sponsor asked me one time, um, what's your grave emotional and mental disorder? I said, I don't have any. And he those are people who are on medication, psych issues. And I said it like really caring. I, I was, I, that, but that's not me. These are people with psych issues who need medication, extreme bipolar, uh, borderline personality, things like that, who are in AA, the mica patients, and goes on and on. And he laughed. He went, ha. And um, he explained to me what my grave emotional mental disorder is. I'm an alcoholic, and I have a mind that will take me back to that which is killing me unless I'm spiritually fit. There's my grave emotional mental disorder. If I'm not spiritually fit and, and, and I'm not picking up a drink or any other substance, I'm probably going on a spree. There's my grave emotional mental disorder. I can't see the truth. Again. But it says I have the capacity to be honest. Remember, truth, honest, God, sanity, all those things. I have the capacity to be honest, to live in the sunlight of the Spirit. This can of soda here, I don't know how big it is. We'll say it's about maybe eight ounces of Coca-Cola in here. If we leave this can here, come back in a year from now, you can't drink the contents in there. It's gone flat, probably murky and not good for you. You might even get sick. The can is fine. Hasn't been damaged. Just a year older. So what do I want to do? I come here, pick it up, I run it under the faucet, I run, rinse it out, drain it out, clean it up, and I can pour a new beverage in the same can because it has the capacity to be filled. This canister is a little bit older, a little bit more worn, but it's fine. When I came into AA, I was poisoned poison of alcoholism, my resentments, my fears, my bewilderment, my frustrations, my despair, goes on and on and on. I was walking around polluted. The canister was okay. Had to get healthier. What God did was allow me to purge through this, this metanoia, this purging, this death of self, this, this, this emptying out in order to be filled up with the Spirit. And what we find out all along, it was there all along. 
We talk very often, we say, uh, I feel the hole in the soul. I feel empty on the inside. Actually, what's going on is we're not empty, really. We're full. We're full of all life stuff, but it, it, it doesn't leave us nourished, so therefore we feel empty. What we need to do is completely empty out. This is one of these opposites in AA. The more empty I am of me, the more full of God I am. Need to purge, empty oneself out in order to experience all of this power and abundance. And that limit is, there is no limit. We're talking about the boss now. There's no one God works for. This is the guy. And we're able to touch that and tap that and experience in all we do. It starts with a mustard seed of willingness. And I'm willing to turn everything over to this power called God. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, living life on self-will, what happened to spiritual transformation, what we're like now, living in the sunlight of the Spirit. If you decide you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. They're going to talk about any lens here and twice in eight and nine, just to remind us about the any lens deal. So one of the things I had, I still do with my sponsor, I'm in a place over and over and over again, uh, turning my life over to this power called God, going through the work again, making another decision. And what I would do is write about my old conception of God, my current one, and how I would like to see my relationship with God look like in the future. And then I write out the third step prayer as it appeared in the big book, word for word. And then I write out my interpretation, my current interpretation of this third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. I didn't speak that language growing up. So what, is, what do these words mean? How does this become internalized? So each time through the work, my sponsor had me write out the third step prayer. What does it mean to me? And we'd share it. So it's my prayer. There's some considerations to go along with that. And it looks like this on page 60. We did the ABCs before. If I'm convinced of the ABCs, I'm an alky and can't manage my own life drunk or sober. No human power is going to relieve me of this thing called alcoholism, drunk or sober. And God could have won if he was sought. Am I seeking? Am I looking for God in the right places? Or am I trying to find love in the wrong places? Huh? Being convinced of the ABCs, I'm at, didn't take, at step three, which is I decided to turn my thinking and my actions over to God as I currently understand them right now. We're a week sober. We're 12 days sober. 11 days sober. 25 years sober. Huh? What do we mean by that and just what do we do? Now, we can go to some third step meetings and we can spend an hour on 45,000 different ways to turn this thing over. A book says, hold on a second. This is what we mean by this and this is how we do it. I was at a beginner's meeting in South Florida and uh, first time I went there, I was just down in Florida a short time and uh, I walked in. It was a, a buddy of mine took me. We went to this beginner's meeting. The speaker spoke for about 20 minutes or so and then went to share, sharing. It was supposed to be information to help a newcomer based on our experience. If 25 people shared, there were 25 different ways of getting sober. And I says, I'm more confused now than when I walked in here. 
Should I take what he said, take a little bit of that? Maybe I'll try that. Luke Cumberland's going to die on that one. We have one path to walk. And they're going to show us exactly how to turn it over and what we mean by turning it over. This way it gets out of our own head, the figuring out, you know, trying to interpret this. This is how you do it, Pete. It says the first requirement is this, that I need to be convinced that my life run on self-will can hardly be a success. Well, step one showed me that. Go to page 62. Here's my alcoholism. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of my troubles. Where are roots on a tree underground? You can't see them. So I'm being kind to you, but underneath the roots is I'm looking for something. You can't see it all the time. It's hidden. I certainly can't see it. And if the roots are bad, the tree is going to bear bad fruit. What needs to be happened needs to be ripped out root and branch, pruned, prepped, and put in new soil. Which means it's going to feel like we're dying at some point. We're going to feel like we're sick. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of me. Fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. I hurt people. They retaliate, and I can't understand why, is what it tells us. Our troubles are basically of our own making. Thank God. It's telling me that unmanageability is always an internal condition, never an external one. I don't work right. Many times people say, I need to find myself. You're looking for the wrong person. Because when I want to find myself, you know what I'm looking for? This really good guy. This just unique, talented individual, this overachiever who's been misunderstood by many. I'm never going to find this guy. <laughs> and what we find as we're walking around, as, as, as we're going through the steps, we find, we will, many of us will come to the realization that we've been walking around with the case of mistaken identity. I think I'm supposed to be here doing this, and my life's supposed to be looking like that, and I'm scratching and clawing to get there, and God's saying, hey, over there. As a buddy of mine says, he wanted to climb, got put the ladder against the wall and tried to climb up the corporate ladder, and God says, you're on the wrong wall. Over there. Right? Unmanageability is always an internal condition. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, but we don't think so. Bottom of the page, it says this. This is the how and why of it. I had to quit playing God. Why? It didn't work. And here's my third step. God was going to be the director. Here's the third step considerations. What does the director do? My brother's an actor, so I know. The director is the boss. The director tells the actor, I need this, I need that. Cut, put it in a can, keep moving. He's the boss. God's the boss. God's the director. He has a role for me to play. I don't tell God the role I need to play, but what I usually do is I'm telling God the role he should play and everyone else. I assign everyone a role. This is why I'm in conflict with people. I play God. Step four will show me that. God's the director. I'm the actor. It says um, he's the principal. 
I'm his agent. You know what an agent is? They represent the principal. Tiger Woods has an agent. LeBron James has an agent. Entertainers have agents. The agent goes and makes deals for them. They represent that person. So I can't get LeBron James to sit here and talk to me, but I'm some big sneaker company. I talk to the agent on his behalf. And he's representing the this, this superstar. My book just told me that we are agents or representing God. How are we doing with this? Uh-oh. He's the father, we're his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this idea was the keystone of the new and triumphant arc triumphant arch to which we passed to freedom. When I sincerely took this position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. I had a new boss. Being all-powerful, he's going to give me what I need if I keep close and perform his work well. It will when I do, and it won't when I don't. Because I can't hear again. Established on his footing, now watch this, I became less and less interested in me, my plans and designs, more and more on what I can contribute to life. Page 62 talks about all about me. Page 63, it's less about me. It says, as I felt new power flow in, I enjoyed peace of mind. I discovered I could face life successfully. I became conscious of God's presence. I began to lose my fear of today, tomorrow, hereafter. I was reborn. We get reborn. I can never literally be reborn and go back in to mama's womb and come out again and start over. But spiritually speaking, we get reborn or resurrected in AA. That's what goes on in here. This rebirth. And no one that's possible for everyone, regardless of how long or how old or how new or how young we are in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the great news we can shout. We get a do-over. We get to recreate our life right in Alcoholics Anonymous. And all that's required is, God, I'm done running it. A handful of years ago, I'm in Jersey, and um, I had this really good job, and um, um, quickly, uh, it was a treatment center job, and they weren't going to deal with insurance companies, and they were going to be true to the cause, and they hired me to be the director and run the show, and I filled the place up, and I really worked hard, working 80 hours, 90 hours a week, filled the place up, it was a spiritual program. And the owners got greedy and says, with insurance companies, we can make a lot more money. Pete, you're out. And they cut me loose. like They dropped me like a bad habit. And I walked away, busted up. Not a lot of money. And looking at my age, I'm saying, who's going to hire me? I'm not 25. This is the only thing I know how to do is what I do for a living. What do I do? And I remember... Uh, Surrender this thing, this, this God surrendering to God. God, what do I do? Where do I go? I surrender again. I didn't say that there's that prayer yet, but the intent of surrendering was the same. And I called up my sponsor. He's we're going to go through the work again and go work with a drunk. Go work with a drunk, we'll do the work again. And I was put back together. Again, I'll talk more about that later. So we can do this surrender, this turning over, if you will, this turn our will and life over to care of God. 
over and over and over again. Each time through the work, I do a third step. I make a commitment once again to this power. Now, we talk about uh, often, you know, I turned it over today and I turned it over today. I get what you're saying. But what our book is talking about is this decision in three. Our life as we currently know it to surrender, to turn it over to God, followed at once by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in me which are blocking me from God. Am I willing to pick up my cross and go now? Because my life's about to do a 180, and I better hold on. I might be uprooted. I might be living in New Jersey and find myself in Florida. I might be a school teacher, find myself being a plumber. I might be in a relationship, might be out of it, might be out one, might be in one. I may be poor. Well, none of my business anymore. God's calling the shots for the greater good, for the greater cause, His cause. But the only way I can see that and be awake to those messengers is if I'm clear, then I can hear and I can see daylight instead of dark. So it starts with this decision in three. Lastly, we'll go to lunch. Mm. Bottom of page 63, after doing a third step prayer, it says next. means I just got up off my knees with my sponsor. We hold hands on our knees and do the third step prayer together. Just completed the third step prayer, and it says, doesn't say make 90 meetings in 90 days. <laughs> it says next, which means right now, next. I launched, launched. When a rocket launches, it takes off. On a course of vigorous action. I love the words, vigorous. Removing, exercising. The, launch on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is my house cleaning, which many of us never attempted. This is not an autobiography, by the way. This is not a list of assets and defects. This is my inventory we're about to talk about this afternoon. My inventory. Even if you hurt me, I'm going to disregard what you did entirely. I'm taking a look at me. Not even my part, because my part means you had a part. My fault, where I screwed up. And rubber hits the road right about now. Though our decision, step three, was vital, life-giving when I do and life-threatening when I don't. A heart is a vital organ. I need it to live. Remove it, I'm dead. You see the words he's using here? Though my decision was vital and crucial, it could have little permanent effect unless that once followed by step four. So what they're telling me here, if I'm doing four through nine after three, this decision is permanent. 429 into 10, 11, and 12, and enhancing that. This is a long way from the last shrink, huh? And things are about to be turned upside down. Ain't that good? At the end of the third step prayer, there's no amen, if you notice that. Ever wonder why? We're about to turn everything over in three, and we're about to go in. I don't have the ability to seek 
Uh, I don't have the ability to even look. I don't have the ability to uh, distinguish what's right, what's wrong, what's broken, what's fixed. It's one big mess. So I need to turn everything over to God. God says, okay, I'm going to show you what's blocking me. You want me? I'm going to show you what you've put in the way. And we take God's hand like a child, and God turns on the light in this dark room that we're afraid to go into, like kids don't want to go in the basement because they're afraid. So mama or dad takes him down, turns the light, says, see, there's nothing here. Well, God's taking us by the hand and saying, here's what's in the way. It's a movement, and we're going to uncover, discover, and discard the things that are blocking me from this power, which is killing me by being blocked. And I need God to show, point out what's in the way. And that's what I do. Four and five and six and seven, what's left over. And when I'm done with that kind of searching, we close up that movement with an amen. Now we're into a different piece of work, if you will, a different body of work, and that is now that we've took stock of our life, looked at my shortcomings or defects, same thing. Now I need to go out. I'm going out and fixing, repairing, and growing. Make sense? So that's what I do. You guys look real hungry. So let's take a lunch break. Thank you.